You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to this month's feature series, Focus on Medical Education. In the words of St. Francis Assisi, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Should medical education change with the times? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Robert Shoket. Dr. Shoket is the director of the new College's Advisory Program, a unique approach to educating the current generation of medical students at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. Dr. Shoket is an assistant professor of medicine with fellowship training in consultation psychiatry and is regarded as an expert in medical communication and teaching of patient-physician communication skills. Today, we are discussing cutting-edge approaches to medical education. Hi, Dr. Shockett, and thanks for joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Hello, Dr. Rutenberg. Yes, and thank you for inviting me to this discussion. So tell me, why did such an austere institution as Johns Hopkins decide a change was in order? Did something hit the fan? Yes, I'd say that it did. I think that the student voice at the medical school became very clear that with the way medical education was evolving, the complexity of their curriculum and the social experience of being a medical student and sometimes being isolated during the course of their training, they found that they needed additional support to help them through some very difficult decision-making and connect them to all the resources here at the medical school. I mean, they're grown-ups, and you have training in psychiatry. Couldn't they sort of merge into the system? I mean, I went to medical school. I didn't have trouble developing peer relationships with my classmate. What's different about medical students today that they can't function in the real world? <laughs> I think medical students do extraordinarily well in the real world, and I don't think they need hand-holding in that regard. I think they're extraordinarily capable young adults. I think what we're realizing as faculty members is that there's an increasing impact of what's called the informal curriculum of medical education. Okay. Um, that phenomenon of all the learning that happens on the path of becoming a doctor that occurs outside of the classroom, outside of written materials. So if you can recall of being on your clinical clerkships and learning new rules of the game, how do you mm -hmm. function on a ward team? How do you manage your schedule and, and the balance of learning? What are the norms for for behavior of, for young physicians in the hospital setting and the outpatient setting? How do they excel? How do they decide what field is right for them? Certainly, all these things happened over the last few generations, and physicians were successfully trained. I think what we are finding is that the informal curriculum is creating some negative messages that a learning community like what we have at Hopkins can begin to bring out in a transparent way in, into the community. Could you be a little more specific about informal learning? What is the core basis of this curriculum? Well, informal learning are understandings or customs sort of taken for granted aspects of life in medical education that dictate what is often acceptable or an unacceptable practice, like, for example, a premise that a doctor must really be perfect, that a patient's death means that someone's failed, or that you can learn everything if you just try hard enough, for example, or leaving the hospital is a sign of weakness, for example, 
or it's okay to be rude as long as the final outcome is okay. For example, in a resuscitation effort. Kind of reminds me of that song in the movie or the play Chicago, Whatever Happened to Class. I mean, (laughs) maybe we just ought to send medical students to finishing school. Perhaps. Let me give you a, a little example, a vignette that a Harvard student just recently wrote about in a short piece in the New England Journal. Yeah, please do. So he wrote, I wandered around looking for someone to explain after I witnessed a failed attempt at CPR. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to ask anyway, not about the medical reasons for what was done. What I really wanted to know was how it felt to be invading someone's body when there was so little chance of it being any use and then how to switch so quickly from being intensely involved in something so personal as death to acting like business as usual. Okay, if I was that student and you would take me, you know, parenthetically, under your wing, what would you say to me? How would you counsel me? Give us a sort of a feeling for the meat of this program. So I think one of the key practices of teaching professionalism to students is to be transparent with the complexity of the situation that there's so many different things happening at once. There's the experience of witnessing someone's death, of not knowing what to do, but having a great sense of responsibility, of feeling emotionally you know, overwhelmed, but at the same time feeling that you have to be responsible to your other patients and get back to work. And I think unbundling all of these things and to allow time to work through each one of those in the course of several minutes or an hour discussion allows a greater sense of awareness of what the experience of being a doctor is like, as opposed to just what the student may see on the outside, which is sort of a shutdown of emotion and feeling and on to the next person. So we're really talking about human values in this program and bringing them to medical students early in their careers? Yes. I think that the backbone for the program begins with creating longitudinal committed relationships between students and a faculty member who can be available to them at critical junctures during their training, at transition points, at milestone points, and at critical incident points, so that some clarity can be brought to the experience and how it's relevant to that student. Now, the system is organized in, I believe it's four colleges, and each makes up 30 members from each of the four years of medical school? That's right. We have 120 students in each class, and there's a cross-section of 30 students in groups of four who participate in each of our four colleges. Now, do they live close to each other, much like, say, the Harvard Colleges Program, or I know University of Pennsylvania for a number of years have done sort of houses? Is it a residency as well as a school-based program? No, it's not. Although we are building a new medical education building, which should be ready in the fall of 09, and the second floor of this four-story building is devoted to the colleges, which will be a place of informal learning and social events. So students will be brought into proximity into their colleges on that floor. And how do the students have access to the faculty? Is there office hours or via email when they feel they need help? How does the student get the help when he or she needs it? Well, each of the faculty devotes 20% of their time to this effort, and it's compensated by the medical school. We consider to be Thursday afternoon college's day, so each of the faculty blocks their schedule on that afternoon and uh, has office hours for all of their students, realizing that they need to be much more flexible than that, and so often they fit in students at the beginning of the day or the end of the day or the student's lunch break. 
I think that the meetings would happen sort of continuously over the course of a week, but be more congregated on a Thursday afternoon. And the program's only been in existence for two years now? This is our third year. Your third year. Any outcome measures yet, things that you've seen that, you know, say, wow, this is really working? I can answer that in a couple of ways. One is we recently published a review in the Journal of General Internal Medicine about the impact of our college advisory faculty teaching the students their clinical skills course, which is the main course of their second year Mm -hmm. and provides a lot of face contact. It's how a student, of course, learns their physical examination skills and interviewing. And we showed fairly convincingly that having dedicated faculty does result in students rating the faculty higher on a couple of variables, particularly in role modeling, professionalism, and in interviewing, and a sense of commitment by the faculty to the student. Also, we are periodically polling or asking the students to assess the experience with their college's advisor. And we just recently completed such a survey. And more than nine out of 10 students rated their advisor as meeting or exceeding their expectations and wrote things along the lines of, my advisor is the best one in the program. I can't imagine going through the last two years without having this relationship with my advisor and giving various vignettes about how their advisor helped them at critical junctures. Does the faculty see a difference in the type of future doctor they're training? Somebody's going through this program, and I know you've only had a short time to look at it, and none have graduated yet. But, you know, if you give me a lot of attention, I'm going to love you. Mm -hmm. But the faculty should be seeing some kind of a change in the students that says, you know, this is the right direction to go versus, you know, maybe the traditional work better. Yeah, I think that we really only have short-term outcomes to look at at this point. They're intermediate outcomes. For example... Last year at our medical school, all the students matched in the residency match. And this year, the students seem to be much more prepared to go through residency interviews and have a better sense of support going into that than in previous years before students really had a a strong sense of support behind them. I would say that the clinical skills course that we teach, because we're a fairly tight group of faculty now who share a lot of common faculty development together, the students are doing much better by external standards in their interviewing skills, according to the standardized Mm -hmm. patients Mm -hmm. that they work with and some of the patient testimonials that we're getting. But these are all intermediate outcomes. We don't have any long-range outcomes yet. We just have a moment or two left. Do you see this model, you encouraged by this model enough to see it being exported to other medical schools? Oh, yes, absolutely. And that's in the process of happening over these few years. Other programs have had very successful learning communities. Harvard, for example, has had the Societies. University of Washington has a similar colleges program. University of Iowa has a docent program with guides similar to what we have at Johns Hopkins. And Johns Hopkins just hosted a National Learning Communities in Medicine conference in November, and we had 20-some schools represented with leaders from those schools, all eager to either develop further or start similar learning communities. And I think what we're finding is that this national trend of needing to create a structure around informal learning and to do something about 
changing the tide of fragmentation and teaching in medical education, to turn that around somewhat has been a very compelling issue for most medical schools. Well, that sounds like a very optimistic future and an optimistic positive note to end on. I'd like to thank Dr. Robert Schockett, who's been my guest, and we've been discussing the college's program approach to medical education at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and take advantage of our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health. Tune in each hour for the ReachMD feature series, Focus on Medical Education. We thank you for listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. This ReachMD program is featured on CIRMO, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.cermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot com. When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card.